Blog Talk Radio. So great to have you with us as always. Let the energy, the enthusiasm, the excitement begin of what's going to be another just extraordinary, intriguing, fascinating weekend of college football. This is strong as steel. You've come to the right place, your spot each and every week. The very best podcast to get you entertained and informed about not only your favorite football team, but everything that's going on around the entire college football landscape. I'm Michael Regai, as always, uh, delighted to be with uh, my buddy and uh, the preeminent college football analyst uh, all over the land, the author of Phil Steele's College Football Preview Magazine. Phil Steele, how are you, my friend? You excited about what's going to transpire this weekend as I am? You know, I tell you what, Michael, I can't remember a, an opening to the college football season like this one where you have so many big games right out of the box. And this week, three battles, top 10 versus top 10. Uh, normally, you might get one of those weeks sometime in November, but it seems like it's happening every week during the season. And these top 10 versus top 10 battles are going to decide a lot this weekend. No question going to be very, very not long-reaching, as Phil just said, in terms of what uh, may happen down the road, of course, with an eye on the Final Four of the college football playoff. Now, we want you to get interactive with the show. And by the way, Phil, how about uh, all of our Strong as Steel listeners? However they go about it, they've been absolutely tremendous. We continue to grow week in and week out, and that's all because of you. We want you to uh, have your voice heard, 646-668-2248. That's 646-668-2248. By the way, too, you always blow up Twitter, and we love that as well. Social media is another fantastic way for you to get with us and uh, discuss this weekend in college football with Phil here on Strong as Steel at Phil Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E-042, at Michael Regi, R-E-G-H-I, at Jim Nabozna, N-A-B-O-Z, 
and A. Phil, you just said it. Let's start right there. We're talking about three heavyweight matchups, my man. Let's do them chronologically. Starting on Friday night, Stanford Cardinal, uh, Coach Shaw and his group, they had a rally in the fourth quarter to take down UCLA. Washington is sitting there and maybe laying in the weeds. Let's start right there. I think Seattle's going to be on fire this Friday night, don't you? Yeah, and remember, they redid Husky Stadium a couple of years ago, making it even louder. Already, already was one of the loudest home venues uh, in the country. Now, making Stanford an underdog is dangerous because they've got one of the best head coaches out there in David Shaw, and this is a team that comes in with a legitimate Heisman candidate in Christian McCaffrey. They've already proven against three very solid teams. You know, that went over Kansas State in week one. I think Kansas State's going to be one of those under-the-radar Big 12 teams. And then USC, UCLA, the two of the top teams from the north and now or from the south, and now they play Washington. But they're going to be down a couple of starting quarterbacks for the game, which is probably going to hurt Stanford a little bit. And I like the fact that Washington comes in this the fresher team. While Stanford's been going toe-to-toe with USC and UCLA the last two weeks, and how about that play at the end of the Stanford game last week? If you yeah. played that game, yeah. uh, the fumble return for a touchdown made a lot of money change hands in Las Vegas on the, on the last play of the game. But going to Washington, you know, they're off of Idaho, Portland State, Arizona, and, and games they sort of cruised through, except overtime last week. But uh, that's a game where they had a 512 uh, yards of offense. And now they're at home for this one. So I, I think you've got the two best defenses in the Pac-12, uh, Some teams, two teams with uh, good quarterbacks, solid running backs. I think it's going to be an excellent football game on a Friday night, and uh, it should be one of the best games of the weekend, definitely. Oh, there's no question about that. Real quick, uh, how impressed have you been with both Jake Browning, uh, quarterback, and uh, Miles Gaskin, both sophomores on uh, that Washington Husky squad at Chris Peterson? Well, you know, Gaskin uh, last year averaged about 5.9 yards a carry. This year it's 4.7, but he's running behind a veteran offensive line. They've added LeVon Coleman in there, a running back. Jake Browning is had the progression you would expect going from a true freshman to a sophomore. He's hitting 71% of his passes with a 14-2 ratio, but let's temper that for a moment. It has been against Rutgers, Idaho, Portland State, and Arizona. This is by far, by far the best defense he's going to face. But I, I think that Browning should be able to, to fare well in this game. Last year he only hit 9-21 of 21 for 118 yards against Stanford, but this one's at mm-hmm. home, so he should do better. He's got the experience and He's got his playmaker, John Ross, now. John Ross missed all of last year with injury. He's a wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner. That's a threat to score anytime he touches the ball. He already has five touchdowns receiving this year. That's why we're strong as steel. That's what we're going, you're going to get from us during the, uh, this entire hour on uh, the podcast that we do each and every week, 646-668-2248. Let's go to the football craze state of Texas and uh, check in. Home field advantage always uh, on everybody's mind. What's going on in Mason, Texas? How are you? Welcome to Strong as Steel. Hi. Good morning, Phil Steele. Morning. Um, yeah, I have all of your college football preview magazines dating back to 1995. I collect them every year, so keep up the good work on that. I appreciate, appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, my question is about home field advantage. Uh, the way I've got it figured, it looks like home field advantage is basically uh, three different elements. You've got you know, one team traveling on the road, not sleeping in their own bed, another team that doesn't have to travel on that Friday, and they're sleeping in their own beds that day. It's just a lot easier for them. Uh, the, the second thing is I also tend to notice – what appears to be home cooking where especially late in the fourth quarter, if the game is close, the clock 
always tends to go in favor of the home team, but I don't know if there's anything else to it with more laundry-related and flags. And then lastly, uh, it looks like certainly with a home field advantage with a team like Clemson this weekend against Louisville, they're going to have a home field advantage. Those programs like Ohio State, Oklahoma, those teams have home field advantage, and I'd like to get your thoughts on how that plays out when we have a Sun Belt road, road game at a place like Arkansas State. So those are my three uh, elements of home field advantage, and I would love to hear your comments on that. Thank you. I right, appreciate it, Mason. I, I think probably the biggest factor of home field advantage is probably the crowd noise, especially when you take a young offensive line or quarterback, put them on the road, and they've got 80,000 people cheering against them for the first time in their career. That's always big. Crowd noise is big on the offensive line because you have to go with the silent count. So many times the defensive line can anticipate by the end of the game when that offense is going to snap the ball and get off the ball quicker. Meanwhile, when your offense is on the field, the, the crowd tends to be quieter. You don't have to use the silent count, and that, to me, is a big advantage. Now, since you've got the magazine dating back to 1995, if you look on the home field edges, I have them on the top of every right-hand page, they vary. They've gone anywhere from a one-point home edge to a six-point home edge in the magazine. And for that, I factor in the following factors. Uh, what percentage of the home games do they sell out? Uh, what percentage of the stadium is filled? The amount of the crowd that's there, the record that the team has over the past year, the past three years, the past five years, the past ten years, and then even the spread record. I factor that in because if you're playing a bunch of teams you should beat by 21, you're only beating them by three, then it's not really that crowded. So all those factors go into that home field equation that I have on the uh, right-hand pages of the magazine, and you will see some stark contrast there. And as you mentioned, it's rare for a Sunbelt team to get higher than a three-point home edge. Meanwhile, in the SEC or Big Ten, generally you're going to be dealing with more than a three-point home edge because of the crowd. Those are great questions, Mason. I appreciate the call. I think Seattle's just going to be absolutely on fire, Phil, and that's why I, I believe I, I agree with you about Stanford as a, as an underdog. But I tell you what, uh, you know, Chris Peterson and uh, the way they offensively, albeit against Rutgers, Idaho, and Portland State, we'll see. I think that uh, Husky Stadium crowd is going to be a factor this week. Let us uh, keep it uh, in the state of Ohio as uh, we invite you to get a. On board with us at 646-668-2248. Let's uh, check in with uh, Ken from the state of Ohio with some ACC thoughts for us on Strong as Steel. Hello, Ken. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Go, Go right ahead with your thoughts. All right. Um, I just wanted to talk about a game surely nobody will be talking about, but it interests me. Um, it would be Virginia at Duke. Uh, two teams who had uninspiring starts to the season, but both had what would be considered upset or surprise victories last week with Virginia beating Central Michigan and Duke taking down Notre Dame. See, I just wanted to see what Phil thought, um, which of those teams was going to uh, keep the momentum going this week. All right. Appreciate the call, uh, Ken. And uh, let's take a look at that matchup. You know, this is a Virginia team that, as Ken correctly pointed out, played great last week. And really the difference, Kurt Benkert is getting up to speed in this offense. Benkert's a guy who, when I talked to Ruffin McNeil at East Carolina, he thought he was going to be the next great East Carolina QB. 
He transferred in here to Virginia, won the starting job. He's got 10 touchdown passes, just five interceptions. Last week he threw for 421 yards. They still have Smoke Mizzle in the backfield. They've got Albert Reed in the backfield, so they've got some weapons. And Mendenhall feels that the team is starting to get into the schemes and starting to, you know, a first-year head coach always has a little bit of problems there, uh, but they are starting to play better. And, and one stat I want to point out in this game, you know, Virginia comes in allowing 482 yards per game on defense. Duke comes in allowing 360 yards per game on defense. So off the cuff, you think, wow, Duke's got a lot better defense. But in reality, if you look at philsteel.com and go to the Phil Steel Plus pages, you'll see that Virginia on the year is only allowing their opponents 17 yards above their season average. Meanwhile, Duke is allowing their opponents 78 yards above their season average. They took on Wake Forest, Northwestern, NC Central. They did take on a potent Notre Dame's offense. Meanwhile, Virginia's been tangling with teams like Oregon, a potent Richmond, and a Central Michigan, all which have great offenses. So I'm not going to give Duke as big a defensive edge as you would look statistically and see in this game. Duke is also coming off that big upset win over Notre Dame, and they lost a key player last week. Edwards went out with injuries. Their kick returner, defensive back extraordinaire. This guy's NFL written all over him. That's going to hurt him a little bit. Virginia's played the tougher schedule. So add it all up. I think these teams are very close. And going back to Mesa's call a little bit ago, I'm going to go with the home field edge here. I'm going to call for Duke to come out with a three-point win, but should be a highly entertaining and important ACC game. Thank you for the call, Ken. Love David Cutcliffe and the way he runs his program. Phil, you and I have talked about uh, that a lot. And, uh, you know, nothing surprises me with the way I know he and his coaching staff are able to prepare during the course of a week and get their squads ready for a football game. 646-668-2248. Strong as steel is our podcast. You're are what makes this show. So we appreciate everything that you guys have done with listenership. Pass it along. Let your friends know about it. You can join us live at that number I just gave you or tweet at the show as well. Phil, let's keep rolling. We go to uh, the state of South Carolina, get into ACC land, and uh, let us uh, check in with Jeff as we welcome him to Strong as Steel. What's going on, Jeff? How are you today? Jeff, are you Jeff, there? Jeff, are you with us? Yeah. yeah. How are you guys doing? We're great. Go right well, ahead, Jeff, with your with your question. Yeah, I was wondering with Florida State's defense not living up to the preseason hype, do you think North Carolina is going to be a high scoring this weekend? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and you know what? I have to agree with you. When you look at Florida State's defense this year, Jeff, uh, they have been struggling against everybody they've played. Uh, you know, giving up the, uh, the the Mississippi just ran all over them in the first half, 329 yards for the first half. And then Louisville lighting them up for 63, and even last week South Florida. Now, granted, Florida State got out to a big lead, but South Florida went right down the field, scored on their first two drives uh, for touchdowns. The secondary a little bit overrated. Plus, uh, Duran James, their outstanding safety, has of course was injured prior to that Louisville game. And when I talked to Coach Fisher over the uh, summer and went through the team, their thinnest area on the entire team was safety. So they lost the one player from the one spot they could least afford to lose him. And when you look at North Carolina, how about Mitch Trubisky? Now, Mitch is a 
a local kid here from Ohio, from Menor, Ohio. And last year, during the regular season, he was only used as a backup. He had 85% of his passes with a 6-0 ratio. And you're thinking, well, that's just because he was used only a little. Well, now he's got four full games under his belt. He's taken on Georgia's defense. He's taken on Pitt's defense. He's hitting 75% of his passes, touchdowns, zero interceptions. And how about that big drive at the end of the game? They converted on two crucial fourth and longs, or fourth downs, I should say, uh, for first downs and then the touchdown pass on the final play to pull out the win over Pitt. And that was, by the way, their only lead of the game happened with two seconds left uh, in that game. Now, on the flip side of the coin, North Carolina's defense has also been struggling, giving up 425 yards per game. Uh, I think Florida State will have some success there. I think when you look at these two teams, uh, the buy sign, I think, went back on Florida State last week. I think they'll play with a different passion the rest of the season. North Carolina, give them good games, score some points. But I see Florida State winning this one by a couple of touchdowns. Really appreciate the call there, Jeff. Calls like that makes us excited and wanting to continue to bring it more with you. Please let everybody know uh, about us, and uh, you have uh, instant access to your, your favorite football program and get uh, everything that you're not going to get anywhere else right here. Hey, Michael. On... Yes, sir, Phil. Quick point I want to make. If you call in at 646-668-2248, ask me about any of the 59 games. I love it when you guys ask about the games. And that's something you don't get from national broadcasts or national radio shows. You could ask them all you want about a Sunbelt team, and they'll just give you some generalities. We'll delve in and we'll get into it deep. So ask me about any of the 59 games this weekend. There's a lot of them out there. If there's that game that you can't call in and you call a radio show and they don't have the answers for you, 646-668-2248 gets you the answer. Okay, since you brought that up and mentioned it, uh, how about we uh, we look into some of those? What as we take a look at the Americans, South Florida coming into Cincinnati this week, how do you see that and what kind of impact might that have going forward with that uh, that conference and teams that, uh, with bowl situations in mind? Personally, Michael, I think this is the uh, Amer- all American Athletic Conference Eastern Division championship game. I think South Florida and Cincinnati mm-hmm. are the two best teams, and I think the winner of this game on this field will win the East this year and be facing off against Houston in the uh, the American uh, Championship game. And, you know, you look at South Florida, they have a lot of size. They have a lot of speed. They're loaded now. They got to hand it to them by a pretty angry Florida State team last week. But prior to that, they were on a roll just obliterating opponents. They've got Quentin Flowers at QB. Uh, Marlon Mack has been a little banged up at running back but should be back. And Rodney Adams, one of the best receivers uh, that the American has to offer. And with Cincinnati, last week, you know, they struggled against Miami, but they didn't have their quarterback, Hayden Moore. Ross Trail started at QB. Uh, he's got zero touchdown passes, three interceptions. They need to have Hayden Moore back. But if he is back, uh, I like the receiving core, even though they're younger and less experienced than last year. And defense is where I think the biggest improvement is with Cincinnati. Do keep in mind, two weeks ago they played that very potent Houston team and led it 16-12 to in the fourth quarter. That's a bit of a misleading final. Houston got two interception return touchdowns on back-to-back plays to make it appear like a blowout. I think Cincinnati at home going to be fired up for this one. Knowing a victory would probably give them the AAC East title. I like Cincinnati to spring the upset this week. 
Got you marked down. Tommy Tuberville and his squad at home. Phil brought up a terrific point, too, about that tight one when Tom Herman and Houston were in there. 646-668-2248. That's the number to call. We're going to be checking Twitter. So make sure, don't neglect that. If you uh, can't call us, uh, you need to do it on social media. Tweet at the show, at PhilSteel042, at Michael Regai, or our esteemed producer, at Jim Nabosna. With all of that in mind, let's go to the greatest city in the world, New York City, the borough of Brooklyn. Uh, let's get Taj on the show as we welcome him to Strong as Steel today. Taj, how are things in New York City and more specifically Brooklyn today? Love the borough of Brooklyn. Glad you got a hold of us. Uh, I appreciate that. Things are going, things are going great. Um, uh, glad to be on the show. I, I want to ask Phil, um, do you think that uh, people are overestimating the Michigan-Wisconsin uh, spread? Is, is that a bit much to 10 points given that Wisconsin has proven to be so strong uh, specifically on defense so far this season. All right. Appreciate the, uh, the call, Tosh. Thanks for calling in. And, uh, you know, when I look at this matchup, you can go back to that Colorado game two weeks ago, and that's a game which Michigan had their hands full with Colorado. Uh, Colorado played very good defensively, very good offensively until they lost their starting quarterback when leading 28 to 24. I think if you just look at that game and look how Wisconsin's played this year, yeah, you'd probably like Wisconsin. But here's why I'm leaning with Michigan to probably win by more than the 10 points this week. First of all, love the pass rush they got going on. 17 sacks so far this year. And I thought last week Wisconsin was in the perfect situation against Michigan State. Michigan State was off their big win against Notre Dame. Now they were the favorites. Everybody was patting them on the back, telling them how great they were. Wisconsin was coming off a poor effort against Georgia State. They sort of snuck into town and came out of there with a win. 30-6, to a game they only led 13-6 at the half. Really, the tide turned on that fumble return in the third quarter, which made it 20-6. to Well, now Wisconsin's got to do it again. They went back home. Now everybody's patting them on the back. And now they have to go on the road and play a team that, ah, let's face it, they, they were taking on a banged-up Penn State last week. Michigan sort of dominated the line of scrimmage, as you would expect. Penn State's defense just ravaged by injuries. They rolled up 515 yards against them. They will not have that type of success this week as far as yardage goes because Wisconsin's defense is much better. But I still think they'll have some success. And they're at home. So the fact that they're the fresher team, they're at home, they're going to be fired up for this. And then you have to look at the way Harbaugh wins his games. He usually, if he's got a chance to put the hammer down late, he will do so. So I think Wisconsin's an excellent team, playing above my expectations so far. They've got two big upsets, LSU and Michigan State. But I think going on the road again off a big upset, it's going to make it pretty tough. And I think Michigan's defense will uh, force Hornerbrook into some mistakes here, especially with that pass rush. I like Michigan to win the one, but this one probably by about a couple of touchdowns. Appreciate the call, Taj. Phil, I agree with you completely on that one, and I think you brought up a great point. You know, when they made the quarter, Wisconsin made the quarterback switch, and not that Alex Hornibrook, the redshirt freshman, uh, he managed the game and played well last week, but for the reason you brought up, Michigan uh, uh, top the, uh, the nation in sacks, and I think they're number one in tackles for loss. He's more of a pocket guy with not a lot of great mobility. Don't you think you could expect to see Don Brown just licking his chops and that uh, attacking Michigan defense really going to work on that young QB? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, that that will be the game plan coming in. Take away the Wisconsin run, force them to throw and uh, get a couple of sacks, and you just get one of those sack fumble touchdowns, and all of a sudden the game turns big. And plus, 
an advantage Wisconsin has in almost every game they play, Michael, is special teams. They have one of the better special teams in the country. Now, they were without their kicker last week, but it didn't really matter. But Michigan sort of neutralizes that because Michigan's got a pretty good special teams as well. So that hidden value that Wisconsin normally has in a football game does not exist here because I think the special teams offset each other. Yeah, it's one of the three top ten matchups. Phil is already going through Stanford's trip to Seattle against the Washington Huskies. Wisconsin going to the big house. And don't go anywhere because coming up, we're going to take a look at uh, the one everybody's talking about in the ACC, Louisville, heading to Death Valley and Clemson. Hey, great to have all of you along. Strong as steel, Michael Regai, Phil Steele, our producer, Jim Nabosna. We're going to check in on Twitter in a moment. 646-668-2248. Let's keep going, though. We've got to go out to the great state of Oregon and see what's going on with those, uh, those beavers of Oregon State against Colorado as we say hi to Tyler. How are things in Oregon today, Tyler? Uh, they're quite sunny, at least off the field. Off the field, I'm not sure how it looks, <laughs> so I was wondering what uh, Phil's, uh, Phil's thoughts are as far as the Oregon State game with Colorado coming up. And I was also curious, what do you think is more of an elimination game, Clemson-Louisville or Stanford-Washington? Oh, excellent. Uh, that, great, great questions. And uh, we're going to start off with, well, let's, let's answer the elimination one. Uh, I'm going to say based on what they have after this, I'm going to use the Clemson-Louisville because I think when you play in the Pac-12, it's one of the toughest conferences out there. You've got big games every week on a weekly basis. I think it's tough for any of those teams to go ahead and run the table after this. Meanwhile, in the ACC, Clemson would have one big game left, Florida State, and uh, Louisville would have one big game left, Houston. I think that makes it more of an elimination game here, especially if Louisville wins a the game. They basically have locked down their division uh, with uh, wins over both Florida State State and Clemson. Now let's talk about this Oregon State and Colorado matchup. I guarantee it's one of the few times this week when I'm doing all my radio shows that I'll be talking about this game, but I love it because Colorado has really impressed me. And, you know, the most improved player in college football last week was Steven Montez, the starting quarterback for or, uh, for uh, Colorado. When I looked in his, at his eyes uh, watching the game against uh, Michigan, uh, he looked like he had saucers for eyes. I mean, they, they were huge, and he just seemed a little bit out of it, sort of intimidated. Last week, I looked at the first drive of the game, and it was a different Steven Montez. He was pre- prepared to be the starting QB, uh, and he was not intimidated by a very hostile environment in Autzen Stadium. And look at the day he had, 22 with 32, 333 yards, three touchdown passes, guiding Colorado to the upset of Oregon at 500 and 93 yards offense. They've got the run game with Lindsey and Evans, uh, and they've got the defense. We saw what they've been, how they've been playing so far this year. They're allowing just 307 yards per game uh, and holding opponents to 110 yards below their season average. Now, with Oregon State last week, uh, they were getting down big against Boise. I mean, at the half, they were outgained 435 to 67. Made a comeback late. Daryl Garrettson, of course, their uh, quarterback that transferred from Utah State, missed some time. Connor Blount came in in the second half, but Garrettson should be back this week. I think that's big. Uh, I think that Oregon State this year is about two touchdowns better than they were last year, and they gave Colorado a great game at home. And I think the situation favors Oregon State as well because Colorado's off this big upset win over Oregon. They had just played Michigan on the road the week prior. They've got USC and Arizona State on deck. They're used to being the underdog, and now they're a huge favorite against Oregon State. With all that said, I still think Colorado 
I probably on a normal week I would favor Colorado by 21 in this just because I'm so bought in on Colorado. But I think this one comes out to, to be in that 14 to 17 range, a Colorado victory. But I think Oregon State's going to make it a closer game than a lot of folks expect due to the fact they've got a large situational edge. And I like the job Anderson's doing with the Beavers. Appreciate the call. Mike McIntyre doing a, a tremendous job with those Colorado Buffaloes. Phil, I agree with you, too, about uh, Steven Montez. You know, couldn't get anything generated against Michigan. Quick question, though, about that. So, you know, I hear people say a lot, well, Michigan hadn't played anybody. I, I, uh, I disagree with that wholeheartedly for the very reason we're talking about. Colorado is an excellent football team. Montez was getting his first action. McIntyre's got him on a roll. But also, like well, Michigan State went over Notre Dame. Are you a big believer in now then that that because of Notre Dame's plight that detracts from that Michigan State win? And then by the same token, then the people that say, well, Michigan hasn't played anybody. Well, no, they beat a very good Colorado team and uh, outscored them 38-7 after they fell behind 21-7. How do you feel about those kind of things, almost comparative matchups of how teams fair against one another and how the other team goes on with their season. Uh, I think it's something you look at. Now, in Colorado's instance, you know, Sifo Lefau was the starter. They were doing well. They were up 28-24 to 24 in that game. Colorado was when Lefau threw the touchdown pass and then was injured and out for the game. I don't think Montez expected to play. And here he was off the bench, thrown into the big house, and that's when the game turned into Michigan's favor. I wonder how that game would have fared out if Lefau was able to play the entire game or if Montez stepped in and had experience. I think Colorado would give him a much closer game. Now, with Michigan State, they're just a team that I love as an underdog. You make Michigan State an underdog, and I am playing on them. Make them a favorite, and they're a completely different team. Uh, but, yes, I think looking at that Notre Dame factor, and you go back to even looking at Texas so far this year, you know, Texas's mm-hmm. win over Notre Dame. Is that as impressive as it looked when it happened? Because they were knocking off a top-10 Notre Dame, but now they've only knocked off a 1-3 and three Notre Dame, so it probably lessens that a little bit. Sure. But I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the kind of stuff you're going to get nowhere else, as uh, Phil was saying earlier, around uh, the college football world, uh, podcast, radio, television. We'll go in depth like this, uh, as Phil said, each and every week here on Strong as Steel. 646-668-2248. Maction starting to heat up this week. Let's go to the state of Iowa because there are some thoughts about uh, the Mid-American Conference and uh, their conference season beginning this week as we say hi to Jay on Strong as Steel. Jay, i got to ask you, you're, are, are you a grad of one of the Mac schools? No, I just uh, appreciate Phil's knowledge on everything, so I'd like to go and uh, get something a little smaller school than all the big action, too. Appreciate there you that, go. Jay. Go right ahead. You've come to the right place. Yeah, absolutely. So I just kind of wanted to check in on this one and uh, – get you guys' thoughts on it. I mean, obviously, Miami of Ohio seemed to grade out as one of the worst schools offensively, defensively, not playing well at all either, other than, you know, making up okay last week at Cincinnati and kind of hanging with them. Meanwhile, Ohio's got Solich doing a great job there for 10 or 12 years now, but Ohio seems to be only favored by about three points, so I just kind of wanted to get Phil's thoughts on that. All right, appreciate the call, and, and once again, I love talking about these games. You know, when you look at Miami, one area they have been impressive this year, 
is they've been covering the spread. They're a perfect 3-0 and against the spread this year. They've been playing teams a lot closer than expected. You look at that Western Kentucky game, that impressed me. West Kentucky's got a very good team, a team that could very well win CUSA, and they took that one to the wire, only lost by seven. In fact, ended the game with a 20-yard edge in the game. WKU needed a touchdown late to pull out the win. And then Cincinnati last week, yes, Cincinnati was down to their backup QB. But once again, Miami played well in the game, only lost by seven against a very good uh, Cincinnati team. In this game, though, I like Ohio. I think when you look at Ohio, they're a team that I love what I saw against Kansas. And you look at that final score against Kansas, 37-21, that doesn't really sum up the game. At the half, Ohio had a 359-21 to yard edge. That's at a Big 12 team, Kansas, on the road. Granted, a Kansas team coming off a winless season from last year, but a very good performance. And I love the way they played against Tennessee as well. They caught them in a sandwich, but played well. Greg Windham's doing a great job at QB. Uh, seven touchdown passes, just one interception. He's also the team's leading runner. And uh, I think Ohio overall has got the better defense as well uh, coming into this one. So I, I'm, I'm an Ohio fan. I Also, I agree with you 100%. I think the number's a little cheap here, Jay, at uh, the two-and-a-half that it is right now. And I like the Bobcats to go on the road and uh, get the win this week. It's a rivalry game, by the way. Uh, but uh, I think Ohio gets this one on the road. Appreciate the call. Maxion is rolling with rivalry games this week, Phil. Uh, everybody's honed in, of course, on uh, the Western Michigan trip into Mount Pleasant to tangle with John Bonamigo and the Central Michigan Chips. Let, let, let's uh, get your thoughts on that right here because, uh, you know, P.J. Fleck and his uh, row-the-boat mantra with Western Michigan off to a perfect 4-0 start. They have opened a lot of eyes with two wins over Big Ten squads. little disappointed. I, you and I are Mac guys, so I'm a little disappointed that uh, John Bonamigo uh, squad uh, got off to a rough start and got beat last week in Charlottesville at Virginia. But this is a tremendous rivalry. How do you see this unfold? Can Western Michigan go on the road and stay unbeaten and go to 5-0 and here? Well, this is probably uh, – this one and then the home game against Toledo are really the only tests between now and the end of the year for Western Michigan. And in the magazine this year, uh, when I was breaking down the teams that uh, could make it to that group of five uh, New Year's Day bowl bid, mm-hmm. I had Western Michigan listed there. I said they could knock off two Big Ten teams and very well get their 12-0. and And you have to be impressed with Zach Terrell. Now, I think if you talk to NFL guys, they're going to say Cooper Rush is the guy that's got a little bit more NFL type of talent. Right. Uh, Cooper Rush, yep. the Central Michigan quarterback, hitting 62% with a 13-4 ratio. But Terrell has yet to throw an interception. They've got Bogan in the backfield, uh, who's averaging 5.9 yards per carry. And then when he needs a blow, you bring in Jarvian Franklin, who's averaging 4.4. He rushed for 1,000 yards two years ago. And speaking of NFL, Corey Davis, their wide receiver, one of the top guys for the NFL draft. So I like the weapons that Western has across the board. Uh, They probably have a little more talent at the skill positions than does Central Michigan. You look at the two teams defensively, pretty similar. Central's allowing 339 yards per game, Western 330. Uh, Although Western's holding their opponents to 84 yards below their season average, Central 31. So I'm going to give a slight edge on the defense to Western. Uh, The home edge is there for Central. And the fact that if you look at this game the last two years, they've gone down to the wire with uh, 41 to 39 and 32 20 the last two times. But add it all up, I think Central's defense a little banged up at this point, and I think Western's the stronger team overall. I see Western going on the road and getting this one. I'm going to call for Western to win this one by a touchdown. Should be fascinating. It's going to be sold out. A huge throng expected, as is always, when uh, the folks from Kalamazoo and 
invade Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Uh, Central Michigan also is out without their leading receiver, Jesse Kroll, Phil, and, and we'll see how that impacts Cooper Rush this week. Uh, 646-668-2248, Michael Regai, Phil Steele, and our producer, Jim Nabosna. Great to have all of you along. You guys are fantastic, as always, as we prepare for another college football weekend. Phil, before we get to the tweets um, uh, at philsteel.com and uh, inside the press box, you've done a great job recently of uh, bringing out a tutorial uh, that uh, can be used as, uh, as you look at your PS Plus. So give us an idea uh, how you want folks to, and college football fans, to get with that to enhance their college football viewing. Yeah, now if you're an Inside the Press Box subscriber, you get Phil Steele Plus included. And if you get the Phil Steele Plus, you say, ah, you know, what is there? Go see this tutorial because once you see the tutorial, you'll see all the information you can access. Basically, philsteele.com was created for my use. I want to be able to just click on everything and have it all the access to my hands. The last 20 year records, the last 19 years matchups, uh, box scores from every single game for the last six years, complete stats for the last five years. But the tutorial takes you all the way through it. I like to line up the two teams side by side when I'm breaking down a game. You can do that on Phil Steele Plus. Uh, so go to the philsteel.com, go to the front menu, and click on the uh, tutorial for Phil Steele Plus. And I think you'll find it fascinating. And uh, it, you'll be able to access my personal use. Uh, this is exactly what I use when I'm handicapping and breaking down games is the uh, Phil Steele Plus, and you can get the same access to it. And if you're not inside the press box member, you don't get it for free. It's just 49 bucks for the rest of football season. That's dirt cheap. Next year it will be a lot more expensive, but we're sort of doing this as a first-time offer. So go check out that tutorial. And maybe on Friday I might break down one or two of the key matchups and give you another inside access uh, to Phil, Steele's, uh, Phil Steele Plus this year. I love that. Now I'm going to hold you to that, partner. Okay, you got okay. <laughs> you make, make, make sure on Friday now you uh, you give even a greater detailed assessment, so folks know that this is the only place to go. Uh, Phil Steel Plus to um, you'll be up to speed with everything you need to know about your college football viewing. We've got a lot of tweets that we need to get to. Phil, we're going to do that, and, and you continue to uh, give us your uh, your calls at 646-668-2248. Phil, before we get to Twitter today, and it's blowing up, so I want to do that, but, I, you know, I've been fascinated by the three service academies this year, right? Navy, Air Force, and, and Jeff Monken and his um, uh, Black Army. Knights of yeah. West Point at Army. So uh, they lost a tough one to Buffalo. But uh, Commander-in-Chief Trophy, uh, is this going to be, as we go forward here, probably as uh, as interesting and as hotly contested as we've seen in a long time, correct? Yeah, and we got a big one this week with Air Force hosting Navy, and then, of course, Navy uh, and Army played a neutral site, and then Air Force this year uh, against uh, Army. That game is at Army. So all three games exciting. The three schools combined – have a total of one loss, and that was Army last week, which had a double-digit lead mm-hmm. against Buffalo and uh, messed it yeah. up in the fourth quarter. They'd all be unbeaten at this point. This week's matchup with Navy and Air Force, I think if you break it down on paper, 
Air Force should probably win the game by 10 points. I mean, you look at the way Nate Romine's operating that offense. Uh, he's a dangerous runner. He's not doing a great job throwing the football accuracy-wise, but he's hitting some big passes. Uh, you look at a Jalen Robinette, who's one of their better wide receivers they had. He's getting 20.3 yards per catch. Ronald Cleveland's only caught two passes, but they've gone for 109 yards. So if you bring them inside the box to try to stop them, they can hit a big play. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Navy was bringing the replacement in this year for Reynolds, and it was Tago Smith. He got injured in the opener, but Will Worth doing a fine job. Uh, he's hitting 61% of his passes so far this year, so he's doing a good job engineering the offense generally now, Michael. My rule of thumb when you get service academies together, you know, the, the advantage the service academy has, the advantage an option offense has, is that teams don't face the option very often. Well, guess what? Both defenses face the option every day in practice. So generally when you get to these service academy games, they're on the lower scoring side because both defenses know how to prepare the option. They face it every day. And if you're doing your scout team this week, your scout team is operating at the same efficiency the offense is going to be on the field. So I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. Navy does great as an underdog. Never discount Ken Niamatololo. He always gets the most out of his team. So I think with the fact that Air Force is over a touchdown favorite in this game, I got to lean with Navy to keep it under that and possibly even pull the upset. I think it's going to be one of the better games in college football. Watch this if you, I mean, it's one of those great college games. I love option against option and it should be a lower scoring game. So a fun one to watch this weekend, Michael. I love it, Phil. I'm going to be watching and make sure that I've got uh, got that recorded. And uh, I'm with you on Coach Nia Matalolo. What a fantastic job he continues to do at uh, in Annapolis, Maryland. You guys are doing a fantastic job, as always, by being with us here on Strong as Steel. We love it. Make sure you let everybody know about it. We're going to continue to grow the podcast each and every week. We kind of look at it as it's stylizing it to you, your needs, and how you want uh, this show to be. 646-668-2248. Uh, Phil, I mentioned a moment ago that Twitter has just absolutely blown up. We love that as well. We know all of you can't call the show live. You may be working, so make sure you do it. And for that, let's get our uh, outstanding producer, Jim Nabosna, front and center. Jim handles uh, all of our our social media aspect of Strong as Steel. Jim, how you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great, doing great. Looking at a long list of tweets. People are riled up for this weekend, that's for sure. Let her rip, buddy. Let her rip. So Gregory Pike at Greg Pike 10 has a question on the SMU Temple game. The last two meetings were high scoring with Temple winning 60 to 40 and SMU winning 59-49. Is this year is this year's over of 52 a lock? Well, the thing that would uh, keep it from being a lock in this particular week is the fact that SMU earlier this year lost their starting quarterback Matt Davis. Ben Hicks has taken over, and Ben Hicks is a talented uh, freshman QB, but so far he's hitting just 50% of his passes, uh, two touchdowns and seven interceptions. And look how SMU games have gone against both Baylor and TCU. Now, in your head, when you think of Baylor and TCU, you think high scoring, right? Well, at the half, SMU and Baylor was 6-6. SMU and TCU was 6-3 two very low-scoring games at the half. SMU's defense is giving up 450 yards per game. I like Temple's defense here. They're only allowing 327 yards per game. Matt Roll doing a great job there. Uh, Offensively, Phillip Walker finally emerged last week. I think he had five touchdowns against Charlotte. 
But, uh, you know, this is a game where I like Temple to win it because you've got uh, a young quarterback who's been struggling with some turnovers. Temple's whole ball game is turnovers. They create them, they force them, and it turns close games into bigger wins. So I think Temple's a more talented team at home. Probably gets this one by a couple of touchdowns or more this week. Uh, and I'm not quite ready to label this one a lock. I've watched those last two games. Both were easy overs, but I'm a little concerned with uh, with how the, the SMU's been playing this year score-wise. Appreciate the, the tweet there, Gregory. Hit us up again, Jim. At Tommy Touchy is back this week, and he would like to know, on Phil Steele Plus, he is seeing a lot of green for Toledo's passing game this season, matched with back-to-back red for BYU's passing defense. Does Toledo have the offense to go and steal one in Provo Friday night? Love it. I love the fact, you're Tommy, that you're breaking it down like that and, and looking at the screen exactly like I do. And doesn't that color coding make it real easy? Green for good numbers, red for bad numbers, black for normal numbers. And you hit it right on the head. The last two games, BYU's given up 307 and 332 yards. And Toledo's offense just operating at a high level under Logan Woodside. 11 touchdown passes, one interception. They've got a receiver in Cody Thompson, who's sort of sliding under the radar right now, averaging 32.8 yards per catch. They've got Kareem Hunt in the backfield, an explosive offense. Now, Toledo's got to deal with the altitude, an unusual trip to the west. And I love the fight of this BYU team this year. While they're 1-3, and three, they have taken on three Pac-12 teams in West Virginia. Three of those games have been away from home, and yet they continue to fight each week. I like their overall defense. I think they're going to hold Toledo below their 564-yard average, but Toledo will have some success here. I think it's a great game. goes down to the wire, but I like the fact that Toledo's getting over a field goal in this one. I think it's probably decided by a field goal or less. So if you look at BYU games this year, they've been decided by two, one, three, and three points. I think we have another one right down to the wire. I would lean with the Rockets uh, to plus the points, keep this one closer than expected this weekend. Appreciate the tweet as always, Tommy. That's quite a receiving core, Phil, you mentioned. No, Jim, go ahead. I was just mentioning about Toledo's receiving core. I'm sorry about that, Michael. So, Eagles at Eagles versus Philly would like to know, how do you see ND playing this weekend on the road after Kelly called players out and coaches were fired? Well, I like that. I like calling them out. I like saying there's going to be more of a sense of urgency and – but then again, you would have thought last week, coming off the loss to Michigan State, hey, they're at home. They got to beat Duke. They got to beat them bad, and and look what happened. But I do think that the coaching change, I do think calling out the players is going to help them this week. And when you look at Syracuse, I love the job Dino Babers uh, did at uh, BG. Love the job he did at Eastern Illinois, and I think he's doing a good job here at Syracuse so far. They got a big win last week, going into Connecticut, coming out of there with a win, thirty-one to twenty-four. That's a good deep defense that they faced. Uh, Eric Dungy questionable for this game for Syracuse. They're starting QB. I need to see him 100% healthy for this. The way Syracuse moves their offense at that fast pace. They had their pace slowed down last week as we touched on. They only had 66 offensive plays. They're going to be trying to get back up to that 90 level. Uh, remember last week we talked about the pace of Connecticut, pace of Syracuse. With Notre Dame, though, uh, their defense has been giving up 454 yards per game. So I think Syracuse will have some success, but i got to like Notre Dame to win this one and win it by more than the two touchdowns. I think you have a an anger, angry, bitter Notre Dame team. And this is a Syracuse team that when they hosted South Florida earlier this year, they lost by 25 at home. When they hosted Louisville, they lost by 34 at home. I think Notre Dame's capable of putting up similar numbers here. I like the Irish to win this one by more than two touchdowns. Appreciate the tweet. 
Golden Dome has been shaking this week. You're on Strong as Steel with Phil Steele. I'm Michael Regai, our producer, Jim Nabosna. Jim, how about, uh, how about two more, two of your best ones, and then we uh, we got to start talking Louisville and Clemson. So go right ahead. At JT Moon, would like to know how on earth is Tennessee only minus three and a half? Is there something we don't see in Georgia? <laughs> well, you know, Georgia has done well in the series, and, uh, you know, they're a team that is a legitimate ranked team. They've got the running game with Nick Chubb. Uh, while the defense has given up a lot of yards the last two weeks, uh, they've got a decent defense, and Tennessee's coming off a big game. I mean, if you looked at Tennessee and said there's one must-win game on your schedule this year, must-win, it was Florida, 11 straight losses. And if you watch that game at the half, which I think a lot of people did, and Florida dominating that one 21-3, I think that's why Tennessee is only a three, three-and-a-half point favorite here on the road uh, between the hedges. Georgia can actually get itself back in the race. And how many times in these East matchups have we seen the team that appears to be their season's done and the other team comes in on a roll and it's an upset and the whole thing gets turned around? It's happened many times uh, this decade in the SEC. So I, I think all that's into the equation as to why the line's there. But even with that said, I personally, I've been, I had the Vols last week. I had them against Virginia Tech, went against them against Ohio. Had a pretty good pulse on Tennessee so far. I like the Volunteers to go here between the hedges and win this one by a touchdown. I think they really grew up last week. And I uh, love the way Joshua Dobbs threw the football in the second half. If he can continue to do that the rest of the season, Tennessee's going to be very dangerous. Appreciate the tweet there, JT. At Taylor Go Quinn one one two would like to know if you think Oklahoma, do you think Oklahoma will get back on the right path and start Big Twelve play with a win over TCU. You know the beautiful thing for Oklahoma is all they have to do is win the rest of their games. They're Big Twelve champs this year. I mean they have not lost a conference game yet this season, so they're still in great shape. And if there's one team you want to do it, it's this one because TCU looks to be their biggest challenger now. I'll note about TCU, they lost at home to Arkansas earlier this year, but they had a 572 to 403 yard edge. Uh, they had the, the fumble return for a touchdown cost them. The throat slash after a touchdown cost them, allowed Arkansas back in the game. Kenny Hill is doing a good job at QB. I think he's been looking pretty productive. And defensively, TCU's getting after the quarterback. In fact, uh, they have already accounted for 14 sacks this year. Oklahoma's defense, only five sacks. So TCU doing a better job pressuring the quarterback. Their defense holding opponents 66 yards below the season average. While Oklahoma has struggled, Let's do keep in mind, they played Houston and Ohio State. They're holding opponents to 121 yards per game below the season average. I can see why Oklahoma's favored in this game. Mixon, P. Ryan, Mayfield, uh, and uh, the defense has been playing better than what you would think. But I like, I like the underdog TCU to pull this one out at home. I think Gary Patterson's got one of those teams going on. Uh, they've got plenty of weapons on offense. I love the way their LSU transfer, John D.R., submerged a receiver last week. Even with Turpin, doubtful for this game for TCU. They still have weapons with Taj Williams. I like TCU to pull the upset, but should be a great game and uh, one that probably determines the Big 12 title this year. Appreciate the tweet, Taylor. Appreciate all your tweets. Uh, Jim Bosna. you hang tight. We'll be, uh, we'll be getting back to you because, again, you guys have been terrific, and we encourage you on Twitter. Make sure you, you stay with it. We know you can't always call, and so Twitter, social media is a great way to have your questions and your voices uh, heard with Phil. Again, it's at Phil Steele. 042 at Michael Regai and uh, at Jim 
Nabosna. All right, strong as steel rolls on. Phil, we've got to leave uh, a lot of time for the one that uh, has the ACC world of flutter and, heck, the college football world standing uh, at attention as well as uh, Bobby Petrino takes his Louisville Cardinals into Death Valley to see Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. Uh, I, I just absolutely could be a fascinating matchup from every aspect of the game. Where might you see some edges for either squad uh, as Louisville goes to Clemson? Well, I think one of the biggest factors here is Clemson's being made a home underdog. I think that's a nice advantage that they have in their favor. I mean, coming into the season, you didn't think Clemson was going to be an underdog in any game, including a road trip to Florida State, and here they are, the underdog at home. They've got a quarterback in Deshaun Watson who's been in more big games than Lamar Jackson. I know Lamar Jackson looked great against Florida State, almost unstoppable. But I think Clemson overall has been in more big games. They're at home. And I think that's a nice advantage to have. I think if you break down these two teams individually, you know, I'm going to give the edge of Clemson on the defensive line coming in. Uh, but Louisville's defense playing great as well. In fact, Louisville on the year has recorded 15 sacks, allowing just 3.2 yards per carry. The defense is very close offensively, very close. Once again, Lamar Jackson has proven to be one of the most dynamic playmakers. And this game is huge. Not only will it determine probably who wins the, their division in the ACC, it could determine who wins the Heisman Trophy because the winner, Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson, will vault to the forefront of it. And uh, I, I just find it tough in this game, Michael, to go out on a limb and, and pick against either team. How do you pick against Clemson as a home dog? How do you pick against <laughs> Lamar Jackson and Louisville? Well, come I, I think, on, we, we count on you for that. You know, I, I you, we what count I, on you for it. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to side with, with the home underdog. I mean, Clemson prior to the year would have been a a seven-point favorite. Now they're getting points at home. And, you know, remember last week Louisville did beat Marshall by 31, but Marshall, a late scratch in that game was Chase Litton, their quarterback, who was averaging about Mm -hmm. 330 yards per game. They had to go with a freshman, true freshman quarterback that came in hitting two of eight passes. He had nine of 21 for 59 yards. So Marshall's offense struggled, and that's why uh, Louisville was able to roll that 31-point win. But, like I said, I I wouldn't personally, Michael, I wouldn't put money going against Louisville because they've been dynamite each and every week. They've delivered four straight covers, all in impressive fashion. But if you said, Phil, you have to pick this game, I'll go with the home underdog, Clemson, okay. based on the line value. Sure. We got you down for that. Um, listen, I, you know, uh, I just, as phenomenal as he's been, I, I'll, I'll put it this way, if Lamar Jackson and Bobby Petrino's offense – goes in and continues at the accelerated pace they've been on offensively. Phil, against Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, my hat's off to them, and uh, believe me, that'll rubber stamp them. Uh, They're tremendously talented, but I just don't know if all of those explosive 60, 70-yard, 80-yard Lamar Jackson chunk plays are going to be there against that Clemson D. I agree. They they look great against Florida State, tell you that much. But uh, you're right, Clemson. Yeah. I, that I was at you. home, and this one is on the road. And, and the road tests they've taken on so far are nothing compared to what they're going to face here in Death Valley. Yeah, so we'll all be keeping an eye on Louisville's trip into Clemson. Phil likes Clemson as a slight underdog with the home field advantage in that one. All right, 646-668-2248. You can do it that way or on Twitter as we get our producer, Jim Nabazna, back up and rolling. Jim, I know Twitter's been crazy. Keep it going, my man. Let it fly. 
Nate King would like to know your thoughts on how the Tulane versus UMass game is going to play out this weekend. You know, the interesting thing, and by the way, Nate, I appreciate you asking about this game. I love it. You know, when you look at, at UMass, uh, to me the biggest difference, uh, you know, in the first two games, now granted, Ross Comas was the starting QB at the beginning of the year, only hit 44% of his passes. He took on Florida and Boston College's defense. So let's keep it in perspective. But Andrew Ford's the guy I projected as a starter. He's a Virginia Tech transfer. I think it was a PS number 65 coming out of high school. And he's put up 64% of his passes, seven touchdowns, and in, in, uh, basically starting just two games against FIU, and they gave a great game to Mississippi State last week. Their defense, uh, it's playing okay, but now they're going to have to get ready for the option on a short week. And the the job that uh, Willie Fritz doing here at Tulane is, is outstanding. They're a team that's traditionally turned the ball over, and you would think first-year option, you're going to turn the ball over. But they, they're actually plus seven in the turnover category coming in. Now, surprisingly to me, they had the freshman, Jonathan Brantley, as the QB last week or two weeks ago. They brought back Glenn Coulette back in a QB. Now, he's not the, the normal, typical option quarterback. It wouldn't surprise me if they worked Brantley in a little bit more here. But I love the way Tulane's defense is playing. They're allowing just 308 yards per game, holding their opponents to 119 yards below their season average. So the fact that Whipple and Massachusetts have not really faced the option, the option rolls in here with the better defense. I'm going to side with Tulane to go on the road and get the win. But keep your eye on Andrew Ford. I think he's having a really good and under-the-radar year for UMass. Appreciate the tweet. Real good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, your tweets are uh, spot on, and we encourage them, and we love them. 646-668-2248. Michael Regai with Phil Steele, our producer, Jim Nabosna. We're strong as steel, and this is uh, how we get you prepared for your college football weekend. All right, Phil, let's start right at the top. I want some quick thoughts on the following. Number one, Nick Saban and his Alabama Crimson Tide coming off uh, that, that strong win last week, and or rather uh, two weeks ago, Kent's State last week, and now hosting uh, Kentucky. Uh, will this be uh, a, a, a easy three to four touchdown win for Alabama? Probably more than that. They're about a five touchdown favorite, and I think they get it. Now, keep in mind, one thing I want to point out to the listeners: if you didn't watch the Alabama Kent State game, Bolus, the quarterback for Kent State, goes in for the touchdown in the fourth quarter, which actually would have covered for Kent last week, but then they reviewed it and said no touchdown. That came on a fourth and seven. So that had Alabama winning 48 nothing instead of 48-7. They were very close to not covering. But this is a sandwich game, Michael, but it's not the sandwich game you would think. I'm actually going to say it's <laughs> Kentucky in the sandwich. What? They're playing Alabama and they're in what? a sandwich? Yes, that's what I'm saying. If you are the head coach of Kentucky right now in Stoops, you need to get to a bowl game. That means you need to beat South Carolina. You need to beat Vanderbilt. They got South Carolina last week. They got Vanderbilt next week. You're not going to beat Alabama. I do not expend a lot of energy here. I have to beat Vanderbilt next week. This is I'm actually calling for a reverse sandwich. I'm saying Kentucky's in the sandwich here that I would I wouldn't expend that much effort here. I would get ready to beat Vanderbilt. You need to do that. You need to get to a bowl if you're going to be around. I like the way they played last week, but you know, I'm not going to show too much here. I'm not going to rest or uh um risk Stanley Williams at running back too much. I like Alabama to win this one, something by like 42 points in this one. I think Bama rolls, and I like the way they're playing to the final whistle each week. If you follow Alabama, go back to that Western Kentucky game, go back to the Kent State game. So I like Bama by about 42. Okay, very interesting. So it's Kentucky that's in the uh, the middle, the uh, the, the sandwich the game, yeah. part of the Oreo. They're going to overlook Alabama. Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> All right. I, hey, I listen. That that's quite a unique perspective. Uh, Urban Meyer and his uh, second-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes—they were off last week. I mean, so we're talking about you know what week week four, and they had a bye. Now they uh, they host uh, Chris Ash and Rutgers and Phil, a former member of Urban Meyer's staff. Will that help Ash at least keep it respectable in Columbus this week? You know, I think it'll help them, but I still like this young Buckeye team to roll by more than what is expected. I think they're about a 38-point favorite. And the two key points here, Michael, you go back to Janarian Grant. Janarian Grant's a guy that's got about 50% of Rutgers' all-purpose yards. I mean, he's a leading receiver, dangerous kick returner, dangerous punt returner. They lost him last week against Iowa. He's out for the year. And then how about defensive end Quanzel Lambert? I love Rutgers' defensive line. Very underrated group. Quanzel Lambert was their best defensive lineman last year. He got injured. He's out for the, the season. So Chris Ash not catching any breaks there. Loses his best offensive and technically his best defensive player both last week, and they're both out for the year. And with Ohio State, they just like to roll it up. They're fresh off a bye. And when they get down to their second and third string, they're still going to go uh, roll it up. And the last two years they played Rutgers, Michael, they've led 42 to nothing at the half. I can see that again. I like the Buckeyes to win this one probably by about 42 points again this week. Okay, another uh, five to six touchdown, Ohio State bonanza. Phil, uh, let's wrap it up today by swinging out to the uh, the Pac-12, Arizona State and USC. What, what, what's the condition of of Clay Helton's football team right now? Tommy Trojan is is uh, shedding tears and scuffling a little bit. Are they going to get back on track this season? Well, they are facing the nation's toughest schedule, so I don't think the test can stop. And let's go back and look who they've lost to: Alabama. Stanford, and then Utah last week, they actually led that game at the end, and Utah yeah. scored a last-second touchdown to pull out the win. That would have been an excellent victory at Utah. Sam Darnold came in at QB. They've got the skilled players, a receiver and running back. Defensive line still struggling a little bit. Uh, I think USC probably wins this game, but surprising to me, Michael, is the fact that USC is a double-digit favorite. It's an Arizona State team that's 4-0, and and they've got weapons. Kalen Balaj, a running back, already nine rushing touchdowns on the year. Manny Wilkins, a QB, hitting 67%. And, you know, USC lost their entire defensive line from last year. They're giving up 4.7 yards per carry. They've only generated five sacks. Sam Darnold's going to be taking on a blitzing defense from Arizona State. Tim White's one of the uh, more under-the-radar receivers out there. I think Arizona State makes a game of it. I like USC to win this one, but probably only by about three. Should be a fun game to watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll be keeping an eye on it. I kind of, uh, Phil, I'm kind of rooting for Clay Helton. I, I like yeah. him. I think he's the guy. But you know, as we know, you and you and I have talked about this. I mean, but what immense pressure being in that seat after what's gone on with with Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. And I tell you what, Michael, a lot of teams in the country right now will be 1-3 if you're playing Alabama, Stanford, and Utah away sure. from home in your first right. four games. Uh, you could go to the Big Ten and pick some teams out there, and they'd be 1-3. and three. So I, I think Kelton, uh, the fact that they could have beaten Utah last week uh, it was good, and losing his entire defensive line like he did, I, I think they should give Clay, uh, Helton some time here. But uh, he is battling a, a schedule where almost every week you're going to say, wow, that's a tough opponent. Yeah, well, listen, we know this. I think I counted 27 uh, football programs, FBS, uh, the 128 that are undefeated. And, Phil, we're turning the pace from September, right, and going into October. 
And uh, now with, with all of these very tasty top ten matchups going on, we're going we're gonna to see some fall by the wayside here in the month of October, and you and I are going to stay on top of that. Great job today. Tremendous show. We had ter- terrific energy to be sure. And uh, we'll look for a big weekend, Phil, and to, to do it again next week right here uh, as we get together on Strongest Steel. I tell you what, that was a really quick uh, full hour there, Michael. Surprising went by so fast. Appreciate all the callers. Love the questions on the smaller games. Keep them coming for the future. And we'll continue to be fast-paced and run through as many games as we can cover in the hour. And if you guys continue on the calls, we may even expand it to an hour and a half if you want down in the future. You but, uh, you know, it's all <laughs> based on your input and what you do for us. But uh, appreciate you listening in today. Yep, this is your show, as Phil said, as I've been reiterating through the hour. Uh, we'll make it, stylize it, and tailor it right to you, whatever your needs are. Appreciate all of you uh, dialing by with us today here on Strong as Steel. Make it uh, your regular weekly occurrence. And we'll see you next week after you have a fabulous college football weekend. For Phil Steele and our producer, Jim Nabaza, I'm Michael Regai. Enjoy college football, everybody. We'll see you next week. Till then, so long.